This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Last week, Pastor Jay kicked off this sermon series dealing with some of the outrageous claims in the Bible. There are many statements or many comments in Scripture that could be considered difficult or, or hard. Uh, some of them we might even call extreme or radical or maybe even shocking, like we heard last week, so boldly and so lovingly preached that God created human beings, male and female, and that's it. Well, I have a book in my library titled Hard Sayings of the Bible. Hard Sayings of the Bible. It has 784 pages in it. So there are lots of hard sayings in the Bible. Uh, There are things in the Bible that people have wondered about or argued about or stumbled over for decades, if not hundreds of years. One of the surprising things that Jesus said fairly early in his public ministry is about a sin that could never, ever, ever be forgiven. That's in the Bible. Wait a second, I, I, I thought Jesus could forgive every sin. Well, yes, he can. He can. He will forgive every sin under the sun, except for this one. So please turn in your Bible now, that I hopefully have whet your appetite. <laughs> turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 3. Open your Bible app to Mark chapter 3, and let's dig in together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament, what I call the the Jesus books, (laughs) the Gospels. If you want to know anything about the life and times of Jesus, you need to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, preferably all four. Read them one at a time. But today we're looking at Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 28, where Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Gulp. That's a hard saying. But there is a sin that is so reprehensible, so intolerable, so unbearable that God will not forgive. It's an unforgivable sin. It's an unpardonable sin. That's in the Bible? Yes, it is. It seems like an outrageous claim coming from the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? In the last 2,000 years, many tortured souls have have wrestled over this warning. have Have I committed the unforgivable sin? You know, as a pastor of 40 years, I've had many people come into my office wondering if they've committed the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin. Have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit by mistake? Uh, I keep repeating the same sin over and over and over again. I keep asking God for forgiveness, but I don't feel forgiven. Have, Have I? Have I? Have I? What shall I do? Well, let's just... Slow this down a little bit and, and, and look at what Jesus actually said. He had not been teaching in public very long when his hearers began comparing him with their Jewish teachers, the scribes and Pharisees. And, and they were not thrilled with that. 
Mark chapter 1, the, the growing crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So, so very early in the public ministry of Jesus, the scribes heard the comparisons that people were making between them and Jesus, ascribing Jesus as one who's teaching with authority, not as the scribes. So they felt the tension, and, and pretty soon it escalated. The scribes and Pharisees grew quickly in their dislike, their, even their hatred of Jesus, because people were ascribing to him authority, but not to the scribes and Pharisees. The showdown comes in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, and we need to follow the storyline carefully. So you see, scribes had come down from Jerusalem to the home of Jesus in Galilee. Their intention was to set straight these backwater Galileans who just were not from the capital. And the scribes said, he's possessed by Beelzebul. Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons. He casts out the demons. Now, Beelzebul means prince or, or master of the house, prince of the house, master of the house, and it refers to Satan himself. So the accusation that Jesus was possessed by Satan is shockingly perverse. Not only were the hearts of these scribes cold toward the work of God among them and murmuring about it to each other, but now they, they were in the position of, of, of pulling other people away from the truth. They were, they were recognized as the teachers of the law. And what they're teaching is now literally pulling people away from the truth. And, and they do so by declaring, listen, they, by declaring that the, the power at work in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God come in the flesh, full of grace and truth, is actually the power of Satan. That's what they were saying. But Jesus <laughs> calmly answers their false allegations with basic logic. I mean, this is, this is priceless. Mark chapter 3, verse 23, he called them to him and said to them in parables, well, how can Satan cast out Satan, he says to them. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house is not able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. So he, you see, he, he points out how faulty their logic is, just like a math teacher would in a high school math class. Very simply, he just lays out this basic logic. Then he warns these liars who actually knew better, he warns them of the spiritual danger they're in. Look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Wow is right. Wow. See, the unforgivable sin is, is an expression that has arisen out out of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus says that if you sin against the Holy Spirit, it, it will not be forgiven. 
if, if they know what God is doing and turn to attack his spirit, then who is left to help them, right? If, 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 if they are digging into blaspheming the spirit of God, who's going to rescue them? Insult, dishonor, and make enemies with the spirit? Who is left to bring you back? You see? Anyone who knowingly rejects the work of the Spirit in their life is essentially rejecting any hope of salvation. Is the hair on the back of your neck standing up yet? One New Testament scholar and a former professor of mine said, in in context, in the context, the unforgivable sin is the sin of a of self-conscious rejection of Christ, there it is, and the gospel, even after the Spirit has given you gospel clarity. Now, many good pastors, many good Bible teachers and, and scholars believe that the unpardonable sin is, is simply... Sustained disbelief. In other words, if, if, you, if you die without having trusted in Jesus Christ, you're lost forever. And that's, you can't be forgiven. Well, and I would say yes, but that, that, is, that is obviously true. <laughs> we believe that. Apart from this teaching about the unforgivable sin, we believe that. But clearly, clearly in the context of Matthew 12 and Mark 3 and Luke 11. It's more than that. So again, context is king. Let's read these verses in the context in which they appear in the Gospels. So, so here it is. You, you see what's at stake. You, you, you see what Christ has done. You understand the demand of holiness and the Gospel and what the Gospel has done to enable you to stand before a holy God. You see that. And you see it, and you've tasted of it, and you're even drawn toward it. You might have even lived under it for some time. But then you look it square in the face, and you say, I don't believe it. I reject it. May the good news of God be damned. You look into the light, and then you turn away to the darkness and embrace it. That is the sin, my friends, that cannot and will not be forgiven. It's an eternal sin. And yes, yes, it can happen to people who appear to be Christians. It can. Just look with me at 1 John chapter 2. This is one passage we can turn to. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So, in other words, 
These were people who'd been accepted as Christians by the Christian community. They may have even been baptized members of a local church. They've received enough of God's grace to live as if they are Christians and everyone else around them thinks they are Christians. But their abandonment, their self-conscious, intelligent rejection of the truth leave them outside the camp and they are labeled as antichrists. They have committed a sin that is not forgivable. This is a hard saying, isn't it? But as one scholar points out, this does not jeopardize the genuine security of the genuine believer. You can look at a passage like Hebrews 3.14, and there are others, but this verse says, For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to us. In other words, part of the givenness of genuine conversion is that it sticks. If you are genuinely converted and you truly trust in Jesus Christ, then you will stick it out. You have eternal life. I mean, who can lose eternal life? If you lose eternal life, it wasn't eternal in the first place. The whole idea of eternal life is that it lasts forever. So if you have eternal life, you persevere. You stick it out to the end. You run the race. You continue in the gospel. You finish the race by the grace of God. God preserves you and he keeps you and your inheritance in heaven. And it's a sure thing. Hallelujah. But it is possible. It is entirely possible to, so, to come so close to the real thing that you are taken phenomenologically as a Christian. That is, you, you come to church. You, 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 you put an offering in the offering plate. You, you pray, even out loud. You read the Bible. You, you attend church. You, you might even sing with gusto. Maybe even close your hands and, oh, be a radical and raise your hands. You're treated as a Christian. And yet, self-consciously, you look at the works of Christ. You read about the miracles of Jesus. You look at the grace of God in the face and you see it for what it really is. And then you turn away in disbelief. You are not changed forever by the truth. Which is verifiable. And when a person gets to that stage, they don't want to be forgiven. They don't want to be forgiven. They, they want to walk away and feel self-righteous in doing so. They want to deconstruct everything and, and say they never believed it. And there's no sign of contrition or brokenness or repentance or faith in them anymore because they are lost and they are damned. So we look again at Mark chapter 3. 
verse 28. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus said this because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Jesus. They were attributing the works of Christ to Satan. And I suspect that throughout this message, some of you have been wondering, have I, have I committed the unforgivable sin? I mean, two years ago, when my wife died of cancer, I cursed God and stopped going to church. Have I, is that, was that it? Did I, did I step across the line? Pastor, years ago, I remember going to a Christmas party and the booze was flowing and the temptation was rich and I got drunk and I started cursing God and using Jesus' name in vain. Did I, was that when I, could I have? And there are hundreds of scenarios just like those. And you wonder, have I? Let me take my theology hat off for a moment and put on my pastor's hat. They're not distinct, I assure you. I want to say to you that if you worry about having committed the unforgivable sin, if it grieves you to think that somewhere along the line you stepped across the line and you have an unforgivable sin in your life, then most likely you have not. Most likely you have not. See, the unpardonable sin represents an intentional, highly personal refusal of the grace of God in the face of overwhelming evidence and repeated exposure to the truth. It is the locking of the door of your heart from the inside and then you throw away the key. You have absolutely no intention of ever trusting in Jesus Christ when you have committed the unforgivable sin. The unpardonable sin is not an accidental, impulsive, unguarded slip of the tongue where you say at a party, oh, Jesus, not meaning it in a worshipful manner. It's not that. God responds to, to it, it, it's, the, it's, it's deliberately, deliberately repudiating the truth of the gospel. It's, it's deliberately repudiating and distancing yourself from the truth of Jesus. 
God responds to such rebellion by hardening the rebel's heart and not giving that person any inclination or any desire to repent and believe, you see. So that's why I'm fairly confident in saying that none of you who are here today, if you're worried about that, if you're concerned about that, if you're grieving over that in your life, likely you have not committed the unforgivable sin. The sin is unforgivable unforgivable because God never enables that person to repent and believe. Remember, repentance and faith are gifts from God. So this is a sin that only unbelievers can commit. The one great sign of that sin is a hard-hearted callousness toward the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. So your slip-up two years ago or your anger at God five years ago when your spouse died of cancer, that, that's not that. That's not this. That's something else. Someone with this sort of coldness of heart would never ask, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Because they don't care. They don't give a rip. People with settled hardness against Jesus, against his miraculous work, and against his spirit, don't go around worrying about it. They don't care. And they certainly don't show up for corporate worship and praise and Bible reading and prayer. They don't care about any of that. And so, again, as your pastor, I will say that if you're worried about the possibility of any sin in your life, and, and I know that some of you here this morning were, were maybe, have I, is it possible? Listen, if, if you're worried about the possibility of an unforgivable sin, it could possibly relate to a pattern of unrepentance or sin in your life these days. So likely not the unforgivable sin, not, likely not the unpardonable sin, but perhaps God is stirring in your life. The Holy Spirit is, is making you uncomfortable, not because of the unpardonable sin, but because of sin in general. There's something in your life that the Spirit of God is just waiting for you to make right. Today would be a good day, wouldn't it? Today would be the, the best possible day for you to get flat on your face and say, oh God, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to come anywhere close to repudiating the truth of Jesus in my life. I want to walk with you and talk with you every day. I want to be close to you. You may fret about the unpardonable sin even today or prior to today because the Holy Spirit is working in you. Even in this very moment to bring you to a place of repentance and a change in your life. So if you're worried about any sin, anything at all, I urge you to repent. I, I invite you to turn to Jesus and come to Jesus and cast yourself upon the grace and mercy of God Almighty who forgives and heals and restores. Hallelujah. Do that. So we're going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to ask the team to come and they're going to sing over us while we listen to the words of the song they're going to sing. The words are going to appear on the screen in just a moment. And you can follow along the words. We're going to just let them sing over us. But 
as you see these words, maybe you want to just pray them back to God. (laughs) That would be a good idea. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow before you in adoration and worship this morning. There's a holy expectation for what you're about to do here in our church. Lord, we're, we're, we're honestly full of awe and adoration as we wait for you. Come now, Spirit of God, stir in our hearts. Let this generation, let it apart for more of you, Lord. We want to be your people. For you. We want to live for you. 